Welcome to Base Space. A crypto podcast. Base Space. Welcome to Base Space. Uh, this is a crypto podcast hosted by myself, the Crypto Mewtwo. And I'm also joined by my two co-hosts, Chase Coins and Super High. We focus on creating opportunities for growth, networking, and education in the crypto industry. Today, we have the honor of having Lauren Feld, head of growth from Three Box Labs, who are building Ceramic Network. Welcome to the show, Lauren. We're pumped to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much. Happy to be here. Happy to, looking forward to chatting with you guys over the next couple minutes. Let's go. It's a tradition here, Lauren, for anyone new that we bring on the based space to, for them to tell us about their, their crypto journey. We'd love to hear like how you got into crypto. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was like not in the technical world at all growing up. Um, I was a psychology major in college because I was like, undergrad doesn't matter. Just do what you're passionate about. And I thought people and how we interact was fascinating. And I think that ended up like serving me super well in my career. Um, but started my career doing strategic consulting at Deloitte, really unsexy, just making PowerPoints all day. And one of our big, large national uh, health payers was looking at basically what their blockchain strategy should be. And this was earlier days, 2016, 2017. Um, and they were looking at some sort of like loyalty and rewards applications. So as like the most junior analyst on the team, they point at me and they were like, hey, we don't know what this is. Go figure it out and come up with something. Um, so I just fell down the rabbit hole reading a bunch of papers, watching a bunch of YouTube videos, uh, learned a lot in a really short time period and had to also like go through all of like some basic just like comp sci 101 and like fundamentals because I never learned any of that. So had to start the journey just like first understanding like tech more broadly and that helped to kind of click for me why this new technology was so interesting and innovative. Um, and yeah, ever since then, just been... Uh, been a journey since then, and I, I'm sure we'll chat more about it. But that was kind of the start of how I first heard about the tech and got into the space. Yeah, very cool. I think I think we've all kind of gone down the rabbit hole at one at one point or another and gotten super sucked in. So it's, it sounds very familiar to to my story and and others we've heard. Um, curious to hear, like, how'd you actually wind up making your way to like the Three Box Labs? Yeah, so actually, when I started learning about the tech at Deloitte, I joined the blockchain lab there. And um, Consensus, which was like one of the hottest blockchain startups at the time, for those who don't know, Consensus is an Ethereum venture production studio. So building core apps and infrastructure around the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, the founder, Joe Lubin, is one of also the co-founders of Ethereum, along with Vitalik. And um, they basically poached like our entire European blockchain lab and we're just continuing to recruit all of like the blockchain talent that we had internally. So I ended up also going over and joining the ventures team at Consensus. Um, and that's where I first met what is now the Three Box Labs team. They were actually some of the founders and early team members of Uport, which is one of the first decentralized identity projects in the space. Um, so I knew them, worked with them briefly there. I was running our incubator, so helping to figure out which new projects we should bring in, helping to kind of like broker and negotiate for with projects as they spin out and externalize into their own independent entities. So saw the evolution of like three box forming within like the seeds of Uport and kept in touch with the team over the years. I went and did some other things in the blockchain space. And one of the co-founders reached out when they were looking to make their first business hire to help grow out 
um, basically the non-technical side of the org. So I ended up uh, pulling the trigger, I think like nine months ago now, which is crazy that it's already been nine months. Um, and yeah, that's the story. No, that's awesome. That's super cool. So you're the first business hire on the team. And how, how big is the team now? We're about, well, between like new folks that we're bringing on, probably like close to 25 right now. Um, so still pretty small as a team. We've been like very lean and I think really like intentional about how we grow and not growing too quickly. And we're definitely at this inflection point now where we're hoping to be closer to 50 by the end of the year. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely sounds like rapid growth is happening at the company. And it was super cool to see you guys at, at East Denver having a booth. Like, what was that? What was that experience like for you? Exhausting. Um, I think like conferences in general are always super exhausting. And then when you also kind of factor in just having to be standing for like, you know, eight hours straight and just talking to people back to back. Like there were so many people at East Denver this year, as you saw, if you were there or saw on Twitter. Um, and so it was just a constant flow of traffic. And that's awesome to see that, you know, people are coming up to us and a lot of people knew about Ceramic. They had seen our fundraising announcement or they were building with us, which was really cool. It's always awesome to meet projects that you didn't know were even using your tech um, and they can share more about what they're building. And then, on top of that, you know, like investors that had been hearing about ceramic. Um, and yeah, it was just nonstop talking. I feel like by the end, I just had to like lock myself in a room, a dark room and like not speak to anyone for 24 hours. But it was it was super fun. <laughs> I, I feel you. I, uh, I definitely can be like very social. But after a certain amount of time, I was just like my social was just burnt out. <laughs> I just couldn't talk to anyone. I, I, uh, I can imagine what it's, what it's like to work in a booth and uh, be on your feet all day. It sounds sounds very wearing, but as yeah. you said, like good opportunity to network and, and meet people. Totally. It's a fun experience. I think everyone like should get to do it or hopefully does get to do it at some point. And it was also cool, like, you know, Eric Voorhees was like working in the booth for a little while at Shapeshift. Um, the Arbitrum guys, like that founder was there. Um, so it's cool to see that, like, even some founders in the space were, like, there and repping their company and, you know, no one's, no one's above it. Um, like, that's where you get out there and you get to be able to really talk to your customers, hear, like, from the front lines what people think and figure out what phrases work and, um, you know, what value propositions land. So that was cool, like, for me just also to see that was, like, wow, like, you know, ev everyone is out here doing this. And I thought it was pretty cool to see, like, Eric at the front lines working his booth. Yeah, agreed. We uh we ran into Ed from Arbitrum who was who was just showing up the booth like mad random people who were just operating the booths and being out on the floor. So it was super cool to, you know, even just meet people that you look up to on Twitter or you've read like their white papers or, or their research work and you just all of a sudden run into them unexpectedly. It was pretty it's a pretty magical experience for me. Um, we have a lot of, uh, listeners, I'd say on probably like the Spotify and, and YouTube who might not even know like what ceramic is or what you guys do. Could you kind of give like a, a general overview for the audience about like what ceramic network is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so ceramic network is decentralized data network. So most similar to IPFS, if you're familiar with the blockchain ecosystem, you're probably familiar with protocol labs and IPFS and that ecosystem. They're one of the first decentralized data projects in the space. Um, 
ceramic is actually built on top of IPFS, but the core differentiator is that we make it easy to have mutable data. So data that you want to update and change over time. So more dynamic data, which is really important for a lot of use cases, which is kind of contradictory because I think some people think of the blockchain space and think of immutability as being this core value prop, which is definitely true in some cases, but not in all of them, um, especially when you're dealing with user data, right, where you want like that ability to be able to update or change information over time. Um, so kind of like that decentralized data piece is like the lowest level primitive for folks that are maybe not as deep in the space and newer. The like highest level way to think about it is a decentralized database, right? Like instead of using AWS or like another cloud provider or an on-prem solution, um, which most companies like Web2 companies are doing today, they have these like centralized servers and that's where they store most of their application and user data. We're basically building a decentralized alternative, which is more secure, so barring from just some of like the core tenets of decentralization, but also more sovereign, so allowing end users to own and control their own information, um, and also enabling like really new innovative um, user experiences. And we can get to that a little bit later, but like what sovereign data. Um, and I think, you know, one last thing I'll add is well at its core, Ceramic is kind of this data network. On top of it, we built all this identity tooling um, and that's why some people will see us or refer to us as a decentralized identity project. And what that means is we really just make it super easy for developers to store and manage user data. Um, I can talk a little bit more about that later, but there is some like very technical details of how we're unlocking that and making it very easy from a developer perspective. Um, and that's also part of kind of like the sovereign data element as well is that all data on ceramic is linked to a decentralized identifier, which is controlled by the user. And that's what kind of enables this like use case of sovereign data. So happy to clarify, go deeper on any of those, but that would be like my intro explanation. Yeah, I actually, I think this would actually be a really good time to kind of go a little bit deeper into the services and offerings that you can um, utilize using ceramic. So kind of just like kicking off with mutable streams, I knew you had already kind of touched on that at a higher level, but like, what, what are some of the advantages of having a mutable stream versus other traditional storage solutions? Could you kind of expand on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, so one use case that's like really concrete that I think is super exciting are dynamic NFT use cases. Um, so a lot of people like, you know, we've seen today, you'll buy an NFT, you have this cool piece of art, maybe you'll make it your PFP, your like social profile picture. Um, maybe you'll make it into like physical art that you showcase in your house. Um, but there's like not a whole lot that you can do with it. And dynamic NFT use cases are really interesting. So think about use cases where you could have an artist that's able to actually change the art over time. So every time there's a new owner, the artist could just change what the art looks like to personalize it for that specific owner. Or maybe the actual owner of that NFT gets to evolve the JPEG over time. So they want to add their own flavor and you have these really interesting generative art use cases. Or maybe there's just like metadata that you want to add around the NFT. So maybe I want to be able to add the location um, of where I'm storing like the physical version of that art place every time that I change the owner of the NFT changes hands. Um, so I think that's like a very concrete use case of where you want, where that mutability offers like a significantly improved user experience. But there's also more like practical implications, right? Like if I have an user profile, I want it to be something that's very dynamic. If you think about your like about page on Facebook, um, I'm able to like very easily go there and anytime I want, I can update my um, 
my location, where I'm based, my birthday, like whatever information I want to change, my about me that says like my interests and hobbies. Um, and it would be obviously like really cumbersome if I was doing that on chain and I had to pay like gas and a transaction fee every time I did that. Um, so having like a single data object that you're able to like easily mutate and track those changes over time is another use case that Ceramic enables, that I think is like a super, you know, obvious and concrete one to grasp as well. Yeah, I actually, I, I love this concept because I was actually thinking about this today. Um, you know, just thinking about this episode coming up and, you know, immutability is great, a great property to have about this space. And it's very important. But I was thinking about it, you know, as more and more stuff starts to come on chain and more and more services start to, um, you know, adopt Web3, I think it is really important to have that option to where you have certain um, data inputs that can be modified or changed over time, right? Like there, there probably are some things that maybe you don't want to live on the blockchain forever. And so I think it is really important that um, there is this option to have that that ability to modify or change as time progresses or as time goes on. Yep, 100%. And like, you know, that will change over time, like obviously with all the layer twos coming out and um, ZK ropes advancing and things like that, I think we'll start to, the lines between on and off chain will continue to blur. Um, but I think like having this kind of data store um, and also like the tooling that we provide again for developers that makes it easy to manage this information that you don't get with a lot of layer ones. It still maintains or like helps us retain, I think, the value prop of what we're building with ceramic more globally. Yeah. And I, I don't want to get too far away from um, all the different services and offerings, but um, you, you guys are agnostic, right? So you guys will be integrated at various L1s and L2s. Yep, exactly. So the way that Ceramic works, getting a little bit more technical, is that I mentioned before this concept of decentralized identifiers, which is a similar kind of string to the way that you have um, like an address, right? Like a, an ETH-based uh, address or like any other wallet that you address that you hold. Um, a DID is kind of just like similarly like a long string value, but it can actually be linked to... Um, a Web3 account or wallet and with Ceramic and the kind of DID that we use, because I guess just stepping back more broadly, decentralized identifiers are not a concept that are created by Ceramic. It's a concept that was first or that has been pioneered by the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium. Um, this isn't even like a Web3 specific body. They're a Web2 like organization that helps to pioneer and set standards around different internet protocols that we like use every day on the internet. And so DIDs are like a new standard that they've been creating. And there's, you know, over a hundred different kinds of DIDs, I think that are like listed there today. And we've created with Ceramic a DID called 3ID DID, which basically allows you to link multiple different accounts and wallets to a single DID. Um, so it's really, you know, there's a lot of benefits to that. One is from the user perspective, uh, if you think about like maybe some use cases today where maybe you want to showcase like all the NFTs that you own, most places or like applications in Web3 today see identity as very much account based. So I would log in like, you know, sign in with MetaMask or whatever it is, and that would show me all of like the assets that I hold in that one wallet. But as like people are one going cross chain and a lot of people, you know, are now believing that we will have like the future will be multi chain um, and people are just 
abiding by better security practices and actually like separating out their assets across different wallets, there still becomes this need to be able to like re-aggregate that information in the case that I want to showcase um, all of the NFTs that I own in like a single platform, um, especially if I'm an artist and I'm creating NFTs across different chains. Um, so there's that benefit from 3ID DIDs. And also there's the security benefit of right now, um, you know, everyone says not your keys, not your coin. If you lose access to your wallet, you lose access to all of your assets, but also potentially all of your data. Um, and so with Ceramic, by having this 3ID DID where you link multiple accounts together, you have a much less fragile system from an user perspective, because if I lose access to one account, I can still access my DID and all the data linked to that DID through one of my other accounts that's linked to that 3ID DID. So really like powerful um, framework. And I know I just went really deep into that and I forgot the core question I was supposed to be answering, but hopefully this was still <laughs> interesting and relevant information. No, ab yeah, absolutely relevant information. And I, and I love that. It's such a um, refreshing take um, in this space because I think, you know, especially if you've been in this space for, you know, more than three months or six months, like you, you very quickly forget how actually difficult this space is to navigate. It's like, you know, you have to create this wallet and then you have these private keys and you have to connect to all these different dApps. And it's like, oh, don't, don't share these keys, you know, so... I love protocols that are making the are improving the user experiences for the masses, right? Because I think that's really what we need. We need to make this much more simpler and have a more um, linear approach, if you will, that's similar based to like Web two um, for us to onboard the next billion people. So I love that. Um, shifting from DID and mutable streams, I want to ask you about immutable naming. So why why are edible files with never changing hashes so important? For, for developers. Yeah, um, so I guess this goes to like some of like the core tenets of IPFS um, and that I think is like, this was also like one of the core concepts that I think really unlocked like blockchain for me in general, um, is that like the web today and the way that most location is, or most information is stored is location-based, right? So like you go to a URL um, to find like your information, you go to facebook.com, you trust that when you like type that in, you're being routed like accurately to the correct location. And it's going to show you like the Facebook that you've been using and you know, and love. Um, and so there's this mapping of basically finding data based on the location of where it lives, which is a URL, which is like a human readable, um, like text that maps basically to like an IP address that your computer is taking you to. Um, and what IPFS is doing and like a lot of other blockchain um, platforms that are out there today are doing is moving from location-based location, location -based addressing to content-based addressing. So instead of like taking me to um, a specific location, I can go search by the actual content that I want to find itself, which is a lot more efficient. And I think there was like a, a good example of this that I read, which like you might go to like um, cat.com and like you expect that you're going to see a cat and every time you like you know go to that location it's going to show you a cat um, but like what if there was a malicious party and they changed like now cat.com is actually pointing to like another like image for example or you save like a location or you save a uh, maybe I'm losing the thread here but basically I think like what that is like a core innovation around IPFS that is really novel and has spurred a whole bunch of other like innovative platforms in the blockchain space 
Um, and so in terms of like caching and being able to have these like links, what happens with IPFS is every time that you store a new data object in IPFS, you have a CID, which is a content identifier. And every time you update that data object, the CID changes. So it makes it really hard to still be able to find and locate that data when you need it and to keep track of all the historical changes. So having this like one immutable stream identifier makes it a lot easier to keep track of any like edits that have been made to a data object, which kind of goes back to like that, like immutable versus mutable value. Even though you're able to like update and change data over time on ceramic, you still have this audit trail that you can go back and view, you know, like an immutable record of what that data has looked like at different points in time. So that's like the core kind of answer to your question around, um, like the benefit, I guess, of having this like immutable um, hash link to a data object. But I think the broader like point there is the move from location-based addressing to content-based addressing, which is like a core unlock behind IPFS and why we chose to build on top of that ecosystem. Yeah, that's, it, it's an extremely technical concept, but it, it is so interesting. I'm curious, like, like what, what does that truly unlock? Like to me, it, it seems like it just makes content agnostic in a way, right, to where media or any sort of kind of like property within this ecosystem can be utilized by many different developers. You know, like I, I, my mind goes to like gaming, right? So like you could have like a media file or whatever it may be um, that can be utilized within one game. And then another entire game developing software studio could point to that same file and or use whatever data or content. Is that, am I thinking about this correctly? Like in, in another analogy, I guess I would use is like in a real world, like very simplistic analogy if this even works. But, you know, it's kind of like wanting to go somewhere in real life, but you have to go stop by the post office on the way there to like make sure you're you're going to the right place. And then the post office directs you to where you need to go versus just going point straight from point A to point B. Is that right? Yeah, I think that is like a good framework to think about it. Like, let me the point that I was trying to make before, which I feel like I was not doing super articulately, but like the the reason that IPFS set up the way that it did so that it could basically that you would have different hashes every time you make an update is because of this like move to content based addressing. So before if it was location based and I wanted to find a cat and it said that this like cat was stored in file one, right? Like this isn't obviously the way that it, it really works, but just conceptually. Um, but if I decide to go to file one and what if someone changed it and now I go there and it's actually a dog, right? And that's the same thing that can apply with like the URL, right? I'm trusting that I'm going to go to facebook.com, but what if there's a malicious actor that changed it? And we can go deeper into like how that system works and why that doesn't happen all the time today, but it's possible, right? And especially with like less like known platforms that are more easy to kind of like penetrate, I could go to cat.com and someone's replaced it with an image of a dog instead of a cat. And what content-based addressing does is now we actually have a hash that shows me um, like the content itself that I'm trying to find, which is this like JPEG of a cat. And if someone were to actually change it, now there's a new hash of this picture that represents a different data object that's been mutated. So either someone changes it and now going back to the dog analogy, it's a picture of a dog. That dog is now going to have like a different cryptographic hash that I'm going to be like looking at. So still, whenever I want to go find this like cat object, um, it's always going to take me back to that original object rather than like me going to a location where that data object might actually not live there anymore. Um, so hopefully, like maybe the second time around, that's like a more clear um, analogy. But that is like the reason why actually having these like updated or changing hash links to data objects and IPFS is powerful. Um, 
for a lot of use cases, but again, for some, not so much. Yeah, no, I, I think, I think that those agree. Um, a further elaboration. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me. And I feel like this is kind of like hinting to one of the other um, things that you can use ceramic for, which is custom functions. Could you kind of expand on that? I know we kind of have been sort of talking or kind of like beating around the bush on this already, but you know, like what are some of the custom functions that developers um, can write for their streams? Is there, is there anything that kind of limits their creativity in a way? Uh, yeah. Do you mean like, like the different stream types that people can create? Yeah. Or just even just, you know, some example or practical use cases of like custom functions to help like conceptualize that, that idea. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess I can talk more broadly, like stream on ceramic, there are two different stream types today and stream types basically define, um, like the logic that basically says whether a state transition is valid on ceramics. So you can kind of think of it as like consensus, but at a stream level rather than at a global state level. And the reason that we do that is because ceramic is being built for data specifically as opposed to value like most layer one. So we need to be able to scale to a much greater extent if you can think about ceramic being able to host like the next version of the internet and all the internet's data. Um, and so we basically do kind of consensus at a stream level as opposed to the entire um, ledger on like of the network because it allows us to scale and process um, a much higher throughput. So the, um, oh right, stream types, just lost the thread for a second. Um, so stream types basically define like the state transition logic of what makes a valid update to a stream. Um, today we have two stream types on ceramic, but um, people can also create custom stream types um, a lot of people haven't done that yet just because we don't have great documentation around it to make it easy for people to do that. Um, but in like, we're working on a new stream type right now to support long appending lists of data. So when you're going to make lots of subsequent updates to one single data object right now, that will basically like slow down your performance on ceramics. So we're working on a new stream type that will enable that. And maybe to make it concrete, like an use case around that is like, um, commenting for example. So maybe like I have a comment thread and I want like people to keep being able to like post comments one after another on top of like a picture or some other comment. Um, right now, the longer, like more updates that you have to a stream, the longer it takes to load. Um, so hopefully this, this new stream type, and I, I don't know the details on it to be transparent about what, how it will significantly help that performance, but you know, something around that kind of new transition logic will make it easier to basically load and call that stream. Um, even if it has a, many, many updates to a single object. Hey, Lauren, thank you for going in uh, into detail on that. I, I had a question um, more on the scalable consensus. So on your website, under the shared execution environment section, it says that uh, ceramic nodes can perform stream transactions in an offline first environment and then later sync the updates with the rest of the network. Could you kind of explain on what kind of guarantees that ceramic provides that the data in these streams are not tampered with while in the offline mode? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, so I'm not the expert in offline, so I can't go too deep on this. I mean, the general thing that I can say today on Ceramic is that we don't have great data availability guarantees, and that's mostly because we don't yet have a token on the network. So 
it's hard to provide any like economic incentives for other peers or other nodes on the network to like back up and persist your data. So right now the onus is kind of lives in like the, or is on the single node that like is basically pinning that data or like wants that data to be persisted. So, you know, you'll back up your data also into either like an Rweave or a Filecoin or even like a Web2 data storage like AWS. Um, and that's something that we're working on is providing like better guarantees to your point um, of data persistence. But a big part of that will come with the token, which is just not on ceramic yet today. Okay. Yeah, no worries. I, I appreciate you, you know, touching on that. Um, and then also, what are the requirements for a ceramic node to persist stream states for streams that they care to keep around? And I know you just touched on pending a little bit. Yeah, so the way that it works in Ceramic is similar to IPFS. So as, again, like I mentioned before, instead of having this like shared global state of the network where everyone has to like maintain and sync up the state of you know all nodes on the network and all data on the network, um, nodes on Ceramic only have to um, like basically load the streams from streams that they're pinning, so streams that they actively care about and want to persist. Um, so from that perspective. Um, going back to data availability, like as long as any single node on the network is persisting a stream, then that data will be persisted and stay on the network. And as soon as like the last stream basically unpins that stream, then you'll no longer have that data guarantee and that data won't be maintained on the network anymore. Okay, I see. Um, and then I just want to go over two more um, services. So sync and share. What are the advantages to be able to query sync and, or subscribe to any stream from a developer standpoint, user standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes to like the core heart of composability of data on ceramic, which is really like the core value prop of what we're hoping to enable down the road. And like really the, I think the core um, like tenant of why we're building ceramic. Like a lot of people first think of it as this data storage solution because we're still early days. People are focused on writing data to the network, but long-term the power is about like reading data from ceramic and that shared um, like reusability of data on the ceramic network. So basically being able to load or like pin data from any stream on ceramic is really powerful because obviously that's going to be able, that's like one of the core um, unlocks to being able to share and reuse this data across different apps. Um, so to make that super concrete, um, there's, if someone, well, I guess I have to explain maybe like a more technical concept as well while we're chatting about it, which is um, the core primitive that enables that is uh, data models on ceramic. And so data models are basically like schemas that describe the type of data that's being stored on ceramic. So if you're a developer, you know, like any, even whenever you're storing data, even like in a web two context, you have these like schema that define the kind of data and the structure of the data that you're storing. Um, and so we're replicating that on ceramic, but basically open sourcing data models and creating this open repository on ceramic that makes it really easy for people to discover and reuse shared data models. And again, the way that that will happen will be mostly driven by the ceramic token once it's live. And that will basically be a way that people can signal and basically stake on different data models that they think will be high value. And it can also be used to reward um, authors of very like valuable and highly used data models on ceramic. Um, and so basically what happens is like when you have two different schemas, it's really hard for that data to talk to each other. Um, and so like an example of a kind of schema would be around like comments, for example, like we were talking about before. And that describes like 
you know, maybe like what's the character count? Like what's the max like limit that you can have in a comment and some other information that you want and to store in that comment. Um, and when you have two different schemas, it's hard for that data to interoperate. And what Ceramic is doing is by encouraging people to reuse similar data models, it makes it really easy for people to like reuse that data across, again, applications. So again, making it concrete, um, let's say there was this data model around commenting, like I mentioned, and there is, it's been out in the Ceramic ecosystem for a year. Lots of different applications are using it and users are using it to store comments from across different social applications, for example. Um, and now let's say I want to build a health and wellness application. And I want to see like what kinds of things are people talking about in their like social context that has to impact health and wellness. Right now, if I were to do that, it would be really hard for me to like go and find that data. I'd have to basically start from zero and build up that like network effects of getting some users on the network, getting them to comment and leave it on the network and people could see what other people are writing. But with Ceramic and having this shared kind of open data layer, I can just query, hey, like show me comments um, using this like, you know, data, um, this data model and pull it into my application and now have this like wealth of data and information Again, key caveat is that users will have to like permission and allow you to view that information, which um, they will if they want to use your app. Um, and now you have this like uh, kind of like bootstrapping of your application that you could never have in a Web2 context where you start to have this like initial data that you're leveraging from users themselves that have like already existed in other networks because again, you're using this like shared data model. So going back to your original question, that's why it's important to be able to like um, you know, query and get information um, from other nodes that are running out there because if you want to actually be able to pull that information, you need to be able to um, persist and access that data um, if and when you choose. Thank you for the, the lengthy explanation. I, I appreciate it. Hey, Lauren, I'm, I'm super curious, like with this with this solution that you guys are offering, like what are some of your favorite protocols that you see using Ceramic today? Like who, who uh, who's currently utilizing the solution that you are? You think is like really unique? Yeah, one one project that we're working on early stages, we've been working with the Gitcoin team on their proof of personhood application, which I think is super interesting. Um Gitcoin, which like many people might be familiar with, they have one of their like many products that they work on is that they have um, this grants program and it's all kind of rooted in quadratic funding, um, which is basically this way where like the number of votes that you get basically compounds the amount of like grant value in like dollars or economic rewards that you get for a project. Um, and they've been plagued with having a lot of obviously spam and fraud because people will go on and they can just like vote for their project, double, triple vote for projects. So they've started already to kind of work through having this like uh, anti-Sybil protection where they can make sure that it's one vote per one user and making accounts basically like prove their proof of personhood, right? Um, and so now we're working with them to basically bring all of that. This is done in a pretty centralized way right now. And they're working to decentralize all of that where users can create these like profiles that live on ceramic. I can link to my DID to different like web two accounts to like add to my reputation and profile. So I can show that I own my, this Twitter account. Uh, my reputation score can like fluctuate based on the number of followers that I have on Twitter or how long I've had my account. And you start to link these like different like web two verifications and store those credentials on ceramic. 
Um, so there's like a couple of different ways and we're early stages of exploring exactly how it would look, but you could basically um, just store like the raw data itself on ceramic. And then that's now becomes this like open repository that anyone could use and go and calculate their own score based on their own algorithm. So different applications might have different weightings to things. Like if I'm a credit or lending solution, I might care more about like your transaction history and like an account and the longevity of an account versus like your Twitter profile. Um, but maybe if it's like a DAO, I actually care more about like your Twitter reputation. Um, so you're creating this open repository. People can like run, you know, different computations off of and come to their own score based on their own calculations. Um, or, and like also what Gitcoin is planning to do is then like once they have this credential, it's something that they can store on ceramic with the user. Um, and it's something that now like the user controls and they can use this like credential this proof of personhood to verify themselves in other platforms. Like I could use the same score now to go um, unlock, I don't know, a new quadratic funding platform that popped up um, that wants like a similar protection. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think it's like a really interesting use case and just like love the Gitcoin ecosystem. They're fellow ex consensus folks. Um, so that's always exciting. Um, also excited about lit protocol. Um, this is like a more technical one, but they, they're becoming um, a pretty big partner of ours because they're doing um, token gated access to encrypted content on ceramic. Um, so token gating is becoming more and more popular. We're also chatting with Collabland, which is um, like a DAO compensation, um, like contributor rewards platform that's been doing really well in the DAO ecosystem and different DAO communities. Um, and basically, maybe you want to gate access to a Discord or maybe some other platform. Um, I think they are now also integrated with like Telegram and some other um, chat applications, but based on membership. So maybe it's like an NFT that you hold and you have to basically prove access to either having the NFT or maybe it's just like a token that you own that should, it's like a governance token in a platform. And only then do you get access to either like a whole Discord server or maybe certain channels. Um, and so Lit Protocol is doing this with encrypted content. So like a great use case that I think about is like um, subscription blogging. Um, so like, for example, I want to see someone's blog that they have on Mirror, um, but maybe I only want to be able to access it if I have like an NFT that I purchased to show like my membership or that I'm subscribing to this person's newsletter. Um, so all of, that con all of that blog content can live on ceramic encrypted. And using something like Lit, I can basically use like an NFT or that token um, to basically decrypt the data and be able to read it and see like that um, blog content. Um, so that's like another project that I think is super interesting. Um, I'll just pause. Sorry, I saw Chase that you unmuted for a sec. Yeah, I, I, I love this. And I have like so many ideas, like I'm trying to wrap my, uh, my head around this, but I feel like ultimately with this this really kind of disrupts the model of big tech in a large way i feel like i'm curious like could a developer create a social media application on ceramic and the follow-up point of question is what happens to data that is outside the protocol like is there kind of um, interoperability with data that lives outside ceramic if that makes sense and how do you kind of like bridge that gap yeah. Um, so the first part is like, definitely, yes. I think like Web3 Social is very much like a space that we're going after. There's a couple projects that are already like doing this. Um, one that I love is Orbis Club. Um, 
this is from a developer named Baptiste who works for Edge and Node, and he just spun this up in his spare time, and it totally took off on Twitter. But it's basically like a Web3 Twitter on Ceramic. Um, super cool. It's live. Like, you can go use it and interact with Ceramic, and, um, like, anyone can go um, see it and feel it, which is super cool. Um, there's also, like, other people that are attacking, like, the Web3 social um, element from, like, a slightly different angle. So one of, like, the other projects that we work with a lot is called CyberConnect, um, and they're doing basically like decentralized social graph on ceramics. So making it easy for people to like see, you know, what NFTs are your friends buying? Um, so for like curation or recommendation lists, um, you could think about using it also for like a Twitter uh, newsfeed, for example, like thinking about how you curate what content you want to see. Um, so they're building like this core infrastructure piece to enable people um, to build these Web3 applications, but doing so on ceramic and storing that data on ceramic. Um, so definitely like Web3 social is a super interesting and attractive space for us. And then the second part, like how do you think about interacting with Web2 um, platforms? I mean, there's a lot of different like angles to it. And I think, to be honest, we're still figuring out exactly what that looks like. Um, like I mentioned before, people are still backing up data on some partners are doing it on Web2 um, storage solutions. You don't have to do that, but some people it's just easier. They feel more comfortable. Um, so that's like one option. The other that we've like has come up before is for private data use cases. So ceramic by default is public um, and it's, we're really focusing on being able to nail these like public data use cases. And today we do provide like very low level um, encryption tooling. So it is feasible to like encrypt data and then store it on ceramic if you do want like a private element. Um, but while, we're, while we're, we're building out better tooling around encryption and that's why like Lit is a great partner because they're really focusing on that. Um, but while, while we're building that out, and also if you have any like extremely sensitive data, like any health data or information that you would never want to be public, like on on chain somewhere, um, people will store that in like an offline or in uh, Web2 kind of platform and then basically just use Ceramic as a pointer to it. So they can have a proof that says like, hey, this data exists. Maybe it's like a zero knowledge proof that like attests to something that they need it to say, but the actual data itself like lives offline. Um, that again doesn't have to be in a Web2 data store. Like one thing that people are using is Spruce, which is another decentralized identity and DID project in the space. They have a solution called Kepler, which is for private data. So some people will store it in there and then have a pointer on chain or like on ceramic that points to that. Um, so there's like a couple different options. I guess like the last thing I'd mention is like we have thought about it. it would be really cool if people like went to some of these large I mentioned before like needing to seed ceramic with this base of data and it would be really cool if like we went to like one of these large data platforms like something like zoom info which is like a sales and recruiting tool where you can go and find marketing leads and there's like so much info in there and like what if we could actually get a company to like migrate all of that data from like a web 2 solution to being on ceramic um, we even had like a bounty before to do this around data models because there's a site called schema.org that has like a whole bunch of data models. Um, so we were like, yeah, it would be cool. Like what if someone actually went and just moved all that data onto ceramic? Um, obviously like, the migration and doing that work is not fun, um, but it's feasible. And I think like that's something we've thought about and, you know, maybe we'll like make more of a push to do in the future. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And, I, and one of the problems that I think, is going to be really interesting to see how it evolves or changes the landscape as we transition from web two to web three is how we deal with content um, that has been traditionally removed, maybe due to like litigation or even like intellectual property disputes. 
like what does that environment look like in this like web three world where you have that kind of immutability in some cases, some cases you'll have that mutable data stream, but um, you know, yeah. Like what, what does that kind of look like? Maybe like if there's like an intellectual property claim or there's some sort of litigation and, and data needs to be removed. Is there even a way to technically even do that? Yes. Um, sorry. I just realized I was talking on mute for a second. Um, so like I mentioned before, anything on ceramic can be encrypted, but it is a public network. So any could anybody could be downloading the whole state and waiting to break encryption. So again, we wouldn't recommend like putting the sensitive must be private data or like any um, high stakes data, like the use cases you're mentioning. Um, I think decentralized data can really change the conversation around data privacy in general, because it's not really just about restricting access, but it's also the power that comes from who has control. So with decentralized data, everyone has control rather than a few big companies. So considerations and incentives really change. Um, in general, it's a tricky conversation, right? Because like I mentioned before, if anyone is pinning, like continues to pin that data on ceramic, then it still exists on the network. Um, and this is like a space where I think it will be really interesting to see how like regulation um, continues to like keep pace with the innovation that's happening in the space. Um, we've like already started to see some of those use cases happening on ceramic and have been figuring out how we address it. I think like the general idea is that it will probably happen a lot more at the application level. Um, so like having, you know, like moderation on like different web three social platforms, for example, where people choose to like remove or censor like certain data that happens based on like a certain app specific, um, like social contract. Um, so I think it's a really hard question. I definitely don't think we have the answers yet. Um, but there's right now, like the way that the network works is we do have some ability if people are using testnet, for example, we're like running most of the nodes that exist on testnet today. So we can actually um, like that data gets wiped automatically anyway on our gateway and the nodes that we run um, on mainnet. And as like the network scales, that gets a little bit trickier, um, but something that we're like aware of. And I think the whole space has to like kind of work through together. Yeah, you, you actually touched on a really interesting point. It's about how the data the data ownership model is changing. So that I think that really does change the conversation, right? Because it's like something as simple as, you know, I created this meme, right? Well, in this new paradigm shift, it's like you have you could have the metadata that could prove that you created that meme. So in a way, um, it creates like a filter, right? To where you can prove ownership and authenticity, like from a lineage perspective. And so any other data that could not be proved for authenticity purposes, or you don't have that lineage, it almost by default filters out bad data or, you know, kind of stolen IP, if you will, in that regard. I know it's like a really small subsector example. Um, I don't know if that really makes sense, but it, it it's really interesting. Um, but sh shifting gears, my other question I had is what, what does the revenue model look like for, for ceramic? Yeah. So like I mentioned before, I think the the token is going to be a really critical part of that. And again, we don't have it live on Ceramic yet. Um, like I mentioned, once this, the token is live, it will be used, have a lot of different uses in Ceramic. Um, I mentioned data models. So being used to kind of like stake and signal on different data models that you think will be valuable. 
um, also being able to reward authors of like highly valuable and used um, data models that are created. Uh, the other will be governance. So though we will not have direct token governance, tokens will play a role in that. Um, and they'll also provide security on the network through a proof of stake system in which clients pay for data transaction and validators earn issuance for verifying those transactions. Um, and as obviously the inventors of Ceramic, Three Box Labs, which is the core team behind it, um, will have a portion of those tokens. So that's kind of the, the play. Gotcha. Okay. Sweet. Hey, Lauren, we, we have like also a lot of developers that are that listen to the show. I'm curious, like, where should developers go? Like, what resources are available uh, for these people to tap into and learn more about ceramics so they could start building on the protocol? Yeah, for sure. We um, obviously our doc site is always the best place of starting. It's developers.ceramic.network. Um, we also have a lot of great content on our blog, which is blog.ceramic.network. Um, but definitely jumping into our Discord, which is chat.ceramic.network, in case you're catching on to the theme. Um, that is where like most of the activity happens. I think just like watching um, our Discord is like super active and people are asking like really great pointed deep questions every day um, who are like really digging into our tech and partners that are building with the tech. We try to like channel as much of those conversations as possible into public channels so everyone can benefit from those conversations. Um, so definitely see the Discord, um, our docs, blog is super helpful. We also have some recordings on YouTube of like um, past community calls where we share updates and people do project demos um, or just like technical talks that our founders have given in the past. Um, and then hackathons is also great if you want to just like test out in a very like low stakes way. Um, we have, I think our next one coming up, or I think it's actually live now as we're in the Lens Protocol Hackathon, LF Grow. Um, so we have a bounty or two there. Um, I would definitely say check out East Denver just ended yesterday. Um, but you know, if you're looking to get involved more deeply, like if that's, um, just like contributing to the code, um, you can chat with us and we can, you know, help try to scope something out. Um, and we're of course always hiring. Um, so if you look on our website and find our jobs page, we have like 10 open roles right now. Like I mentioned, we're growing pretty aggressively. Um, so definitely if you're like thinking about getting to the space full time or you are in the space looking to pivot, um, definitely chat with us. We're hiring in pretty much every function. That's awesome. Love to hear it. Um, yeah, go, ch go check out those resources. It's really cool that you're hiring so many so many crypto companies are, are growing like crazy. Um, yeah, guys, I think we could actually like end it here. Lauren, you've, really like giving us a really thorough overview of ceramic. I think this protocol has so much to offer the the crypto ecosystem. And it's really cool to see this type of innovation. Is there any type of like last words you want to leave us with? No, nothing concrete. Um, this was awesome. I really appreciate you guys having me love chatting about ceramic. If you guys have questions, I would say again, just pop into the discord chat.ceramic.network. Um, our whole team is there and checking in pretty actively. So I would love to hear from you guys. And that's it. Let's go. Thanks for all the listeners for tuning in and uh, stay based, everyone. Stay based. Cool. Bye, guys. Happies. <laughs>